Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream.
you so much. You may be seated. Amen. Well, we are so thankful to be joined together today for a time of worship here at Flat Creek Baptist Church. And we're going to have a very special prayer time at this moment. We have a team, a group of individuals. Y'all come on down. Uh, that's leaving here in just a few moments to go to Uganda. This is our Uganda mission team. Y'all give them a big hand as they come. They're going to be leaving here in just a few moments. Uh, as soon as we pray over them, they're going out of the double doors to jump onto the vans uh, to travel to Uganda for the next, I guess, about two weeks. I think they're going to be gone working with Moyo Missions, formerly Helping Hands in the orphanage there in Uganda. And so if everybody could just stand back up with me for a moment, and if you could just extend your hands out toward this Uganda mission team at this moment, and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Um, in the book of Acts, chapter number 1, and verse number 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And Father, I want to join with all of Flat Creek Baptist Church right now as we pray over this Uganda mission team. Uh, Lord, we're going to pray uh, that your will be done in their lives. Not always the easiest prayer to pray because we know when we look at the apostles, we look at uh, just, you know, Christian history throughout the ages, sometimes your will doesn't always uh, line up with what we want in our hearts. And, and God, I know one thing about this group, this team, being an individual who's been around the world on missions. Lord, I know their prayer. And their prayer is, Lord, use us in whatever way you see fit. It's not easy to go away from home. It's not easy to be away from your family, your wife, your kids. It's not easy to go to a place where you don't have uh, all the, you know, just all the, the pleasures that we enjoy here. It's not easy to get to a place where you're not sure about, you know, how, how am I going to contact home or what if this happens or what that happens or, you know, getting off the airplanes there and you see all these warnings of different viruses and those things. It's, it's tough. It's difficult. But it's a step of faith to say, Lord, you told us to go and we're going to go. We're going to trust that you're going to get us there and you're going to bring us back home. And Lord, I know over the next two weeks there's going to be moments of brokenness. There's going to be moments of stress. There's going to be moments where they're tired. There's going to be moments where they want to get on the plane and just come back home. But God, I'm praying that you would just continue to continually work in and through them that your glory might be made known there in Uganda. Uh, Lord, Mr. Dwayne Lyon is standing next to me, and he's our missions director here at the church. And Mr. Dwayne, he, Mr. Dwayne, he always says, you know, I'm just so thankful to be a part of a mission-hearted church. And Lord, as we think about that today, I'm thankful that this year we've reached our community. We've gone out to a place like Alaska. Now we're sending out to Uganda. In just a few weeks, we're going to start doing that Lottie Moon Christmas offering to support international missionaries. We support local missionaries, uh, domestic missionaries, international missionaries throughout the year. And we're just thankful, Lord, to be a part of gospel advancement, not only here in Gainesville, but all over the world. And so, Lord, as they drive from here to the airport, as they get on the plane, as they go over and they come back, 
I pray, God, your will would be done in their lives. And, God, I pray most of all that you might use them to take the gospel to those who need it most. Lord, may they be a blessing, a salt and a light to the world. We love you, Lord, and we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Listen, y'all give them another big hand this morning <laughs> as they head out. And I, I tell you what, let me just get them to stand here for just one more second. Listen, we are so thankful that you've joined us at Flat Creek Baptist today. If you're visiting with us, you are our honored guest. In the back of your pews, you're going to find some connections cards. If you could fill those out and uh, hand them in at the connections tent on your way out the doors, we have a gift for you. But at this time, we're going to go immediately into a time of fellowship. As these individuals walk out today to go through the double doors, y'all shake their hands, tell them how much you love them, and shake the hands of those around you as we sing, Redeemed, Redeemed, Redeemed by the Blood. Thank you so much. Would you please be seated at this time? We've had a real busy uh, month here at uh, Flat Creek, but we saved the uh, best for last. Uh, this is Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, today certainly we want to recognize and tell our pastor how much we appreciate him. I tell you what, if you appreciate our pastor, everybody stand.
Zach. I want you to know that we appreciate what God's done in your life. Thank you. We appreciate what God does through you every Sunday when you step in this pulpit. Thank you. And we appreciate what God does in your daily life as you minister to us. Thank you. Thank you. You're our preacher. You're our pastor. You're our friend. And you're our brother in Christ. Thank and we so thank you very much. Thank you. Been a journey, we did. I've lost another. Okay. Uh, I tell you what. <laughs> If you appreciate our minister of music, Caleb Lane, sit down. Sit down. Hey, brother. This, this just reminds you, sometimes we like to sing sitting down. Okay. You know? But, no. I got it noted. Our music program is bathed in prayer every week. And uh, certainly God takes... Uh, our music program, and he's blessed us with Caleb Lane. And it's been, it's been a tremendous year, and I know we look forward to many, many good things in our music program, so the church wants to say thank you, Caleb. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, and we also have uh, a minister of children. So if you appreciate... So if you appreciate our minister of children, smile real big, okay? Uh, this has been a, a good year, Brief. And uh, we have a, uh, a minister of children, and the program has come so far, and we're just so excited about see how far it's going this next year. So we appreciate you very much. All right, thank you. Well, I don't know if I should say sit and sing. <laughs> he kind of put me on the spot there. But I tell you what, I don't think we could sing this one sitting down if we tried. So let's go ahead and let's stand and let's sing and boast about our freedom through Christ. Living Hope. Breeze is going to lead us. How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then
this morning. Please be seated at this time. Before we sing this choir special, I want to read uh, a short scripture passage to you. The theme of the day is freedom from slavery to sin. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 38, it says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and through him everyone who believed is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses we we, we do a fine job a lot of times of preaching the cross but a lot of times we're guilty of leaving Jesus in the tomb and we don't talk about the assurance of eternity because of his resurrection if we don't talk about that then freedom from sin really doesn't mean much of anything. And so we're going to sing this song for you. This is called The Power of the Cross. It's a modern hymn, probably my favorite modern hymn. It is a powerful song that proclaims the freedom we have in Jesus. Oh, uh -huh. 
What a, well, the, you know, the, the praise team, they sang that in the 8.30 service, and I didn't think it would get much better. And then the choir sang it in the 11 o'clock, and it got better. Amen? That was so good, so good. Listen, if you are in the room and you're between the ages of kindergarten and the fifth grade and you pre-registered to go to children's church, you can come on and run that direction. If you'll open your Bibles to Romans 6 today as those children make their way. Romans 6. As we look at those children running down the aisle, I think about the two young men who, or young boys really, who were just, uh, you know, they were just, I guess for all intents and purposes, you could just say they were just little rebels. They just uh, weren't the best kids, and the parents had done everything that they knew to do to kind of get uh, the kids in line. And so finally, the parents just decided there's one tactic that we haven't tried. Uh, we haven't set them down with the pastor. So let's take them to the pastor and let the pastor deal with them. So the pastor agreed to sit down with the young boys. However, he said, I'll only sit down with them one at a time. That way, kind of a divide and conquer method almost, if you will. So he brought the youngest or the oldest brother in, and he sat there in his office, and he said to him, he, he, he said, I want to ask you a pretty serious question here. Uh, where is God at? And the little boy just sat in stunned silence. And the pastor kind of pressing in, realizing the spiritual moment, he said, I'm going to ask you again, son, where is God? And the little boy, tears began to stream down his face. The pastor, thinking that the little boy is maybe about to really have a breaking point, be converted, he asked him again. He said, where is God? And the little fella got up and ran out the door as fast as he could, ran straight home to his younger brother, and he said, we've done it now. God is missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> Listen, we're going to come to Romans 6 today. Uh, Romans 6, verse 15 through verse number 23. I, I want to ask you this question kind of as uh, subject matter to kind of get your mind thinking in the direction of the text. And the question is this, uh, whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? Now, before we read the text, I'll tell you a story that, uh, a more of a serious story uh, that, that used to go around. I used to hear Older preachers tell it all the time. It was the story of, of the Indian man who one time told a spiritual advisor, he said, I feel like there are two dogs inside of me. One dog is evil and one dog is good, and I feel like they're constantly at war with one another, to which the spiritual advisor asked that wise old Indian, he said, well, between the two, which dog wins? And he said, well, it's the dog I feed the most. Now, I want you to keep that little story, if you can, in your mind as we begin reading verse 15 through verse 23 of the book of Romans 6. Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves as someone, uh, to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey? either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart 
to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's take just a moment and go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we are so thankful for the blessing of being a part of a community of believers, a called-out assembly of the saints. And Lord, it has been a rich time of worship today. Whether it was the 8.30 service or even Sunday school or even now, Lord, the praises have gone up. The hearts of the people are in tune with you, and now it is time, God, to open up this blessed book and to just hear what you have to say to us. A challenging text, to say the least. A challenging question, whose slave are you? God, through the text today, I pray that this question and the answer will come to the surface of the heart of every individual. By the time we walk out of these doors today, if there would be somebody under the sound of my voice that's never given their heart to Christ, that when the invitation is given to walk the aisle and boldly proclaim Christ in front of, uh, in front of other people, that they would say yes to you for the very first time. May your name be glorified in all that's done and said here today. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Whose slave are you? Now, chapter 6 is one of those chapters. Uh, I promise you, it's, it's every week as I sit down to study the text, it's, it's like I'm going back to a well that never runs dry. It is so rich, and it is so deep, and it is so profound. And chapter 6 actually, naturally, kind of breaks into two sections. And each one of the sections is marked by what I like to call a qualifying question. And the second section of chapter 6 begins in verse 15 with the following qualifying question. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law? but under grace. Now, you might understand or you might see that that question is, is remarkably similar to the question that Paul actually asked to begin section 1 of chapter 6, a question that he asked way back in chapter 6, verse number 1. If you go back there with me, you will remember that Paul asked the question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And this was the natural question that came out of Paul's conclusion of the doctrine of justification found in chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. You will remember that we walked all summer long through this doctrine of justification lasting from chapter 321 to 521, and Paul summarizes justification in these two verses. Chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when you hear that, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, you can certainly understand this conclusion. That if people could come to this mindset that, that they would say, well, if grace abounds because of my sin, then doesn't that give me the right to live a life of liberty in sin? In fact, the great preacher John MacArthur, he says that good gospel preaching of grace inevitably raises this question. Shall I sin more that grace may abound? He says if you are accurately preaching grace, this is what people are going to think in their minds. See, Paul uses that qualifying question then to launch us into this discourse on sanctification. Now, you might remember that sanctification is the progressive work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to set us apart as holy vessels fit for use in God's kingdom work. Now, remember that sanctification begins the day of your salvation. And sanctification will last the duration of your Christian life and will only culminate in your glorification, which is the moment that you pass from this life to the next. William Ames once said on sanctification that it is the real change in man from the sordidness of sin to the purity of God's image. Friends, to be in Christ means that you will never be the same. Not only has the old man been crucified with Christ, that's your salvation, but every day like a refiner, God is purifying us from the infirmity of sin, that is your sanctification. If you are a believer, sanctification is God's constant work in you through the power of the Holy Spirit to conform you to the image of Christ. Maybe another image you might think of outside of a refiner would be that image of the potter at the wheel. You might remember from the book of Jeremiah how Jeremiah paints that picture so clearly, how the potter has the right to mold into a piece of clay whatever he desires. And maybe that's a better, uh, maybe another good illustration of sanctification. God is molding us, making us into the image of Christ. Now remember that Paul has been kind of fleshing all of this out for us in those first 14 verses of chapter 6. He's teaching us of the seriousness with which we as believers should war against sin. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 6, verse 1, when Paul asked that question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Listen to how serious Paul deals with that question. He says, may it never be. The actual Greek translation is this, God forbid it. Paul destroys the argument by highlighting our na the nature of our walk with Christ, teaching us that for those of us who have died to sin, it is now impossible to go on living in it. Furthermore, he taught, teaches us in chapter 6 of this great battle that is taking place between the spirit and the flesh. And Paul commands us, we looked at it last week, to no longer present our bodies as weapons for unrighteousness, rather to present our bodies as weapons of righteousness as those who are alive from the dead. It's as if Paul paints this picture of two kingdoms at war with one another. He's, he's looking at this one kingdom that is ruled by the tyrant of sin. 
Sin sits upon the throne of the heart of humanity from the day of your birth. Sin enslaves you with chains and has a fierce whip and demands our obedience. That's one kingdom. But the other kingdom is a kingdom of grace, a kingdom which you are invited to be a part of through the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us who have come into this kingdom, Christ Jesus is now the master of our life. Therefore, sin no longer reigns. This is why Paul says, you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Now, it's interesting that Paul would mention here not being under the law. Now, the reason he does this is because of what the law produces in our lives. Go with me to chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. Now, we've already read this text a few weeks ago, and we'll preach through it a couple weeks from now. But I want you to listen to be reminded what the law produces in your life. Chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. Friends, this is the nature of our depraved hearts. Our nature is to kick against the laws of God. It has been our nature since the fall in the garden. You see, we constantly buy into the lie of the serpent. What did the serpent say to Adam and Eve? You won't die. God knows the day you eat of the fruit, you're going to be like him. In other words, what the serpent says to Adam and Eve is this, God is withholding something from you. And by living under those laws, he's unfairly ruling over you. Therefore, be your own God. Obey your own desires. This is where true freedom is found. What Paul concludes is the laws which were meant to produce life in us, therefore have produced our death through our disobedience. This is why Paul says, for those of us who are in Christ, we are no longer under the law. We are under grace. Friends, we have to be. We must be. Because we have transgressed the laws of God. And the laws of God demand justice against the sinner, which we are. Therefore, salvation must be by grace alone, through, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because we have failed in our attempt to obtain righteousness through the law. Therefore, we have to be under grace. There's no other way. But here come the dissenters again. The dissenters come back to Paul, and they say, well, wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. If, if the law increases our sin, how much more will grace increase our sin? Because grace allows you to live any way you want to live. And grace allows you to live free from the obligations of the law, to which Paul introduces this second section. 
What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? To which Paul is going to answer the question in the same way that he answered the first question in verse number one. Absolutely not. May it never be. God forbid it. In other words, what a twisted and tragic view of grace you have. To believe that grace actually encourages your lawlessness. In fact, friends, a true understanding of grace will produce the opposite effect. You see, to be a benefactor of God's grace, you must come to grips with who you are apart from Christ. You must come to understand your sinfulness and your position before a holy God as guilty. And you must come to understand that every single person who doesn't put their faith and trust in Christ is damned to an eternal hell. You must come to a point in your life where you are convicted of your sin, and because of this sin, God has rendered his judgment against you. And in recognizing your total inability to save yourself, you must look at the Savior. You must look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who took your penalty who bore your burden, who bore your shame, who bore your iniquity, who bore your sin. He paid the price. He suffered under the mighty weight of the wrath of God on your behalf and died in your place, which is the wage which is owed for our sin. And when a person comes to this conclusion, I can't save myself. It's only then that they will humbly bow before the cross of Calvary and understand and experience God's redeeming grace. Before you might say it like this, sin more, increase lawlessness, wickedness, evil. Never. God forbid it. But in the case that there's still somebody who doesn't quite understand how grace decreases sin in the life of the believer instead of increasing it, Paul is going to dive deeper into this nature of two kingdoms and two masters. And what he's going to do is he is going to demand through the text that each of us take an take a, a, a introspection, an examination, if you will, to determine this question, whose slave are you? Who sits upon the throne of your heart? And I'm going to tell you, friends, this is one of the most challenging texts that you will ever read in your Bible. Not challenging in its ability to understand it, but challenging in its penetration of our hearts as it uncovers what's really going on beneath the surface. You see, what this text teaches us is this, that you are the slave of one of two masters. You are the slave of one of two masters. Now Paul uses an illustration that the people in the church at Rome would naturally understand. In that moment, in the Roman Empire, there were around 10 million slaves. In fact, many of the people that Paul is writing to were more than likely at that moment slaves to a master. Paul says in verse 16, in answering this question, shall we sin more? Paul says, do you not know? The same way that he answered the question in verse 1. In verse 3, he says, do you not know? In other words, this is common sense. You, you should know this. Do you 
not know, what does he say? That when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey. Now the key to understanding this section of the book of Romans is to understand this word slave. It is used seven times across the next seven verses. It's found twice in verse 16, once in verse 17, once in verse 18, twice in verse 19, once in verse 20, and is alluded to in verse 22. It's the Greek word doulos. Doulos means slave. It's one who gives himself up completely to his master. It's different than the Greek word dikonos. Dikonos is where we get the Greek word or, or the English word deacon. It means servant. And you have to understand because in some of your translations, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1, it might say something like this, Paul, a bondservant. It's not a good translation. You see, a servant is much different than a slave. Paul says a doulos in verse 1 of chapter 1, meaning calling himself a slave. A servant is much different than a slave. Matter of fact, a slave is much lower than a servant. You see, a servant is someone who still has a degree of freedom. A servant can choose whether or not they want to do this job or, or not to do the job. A servant is still his own property. He receives wages. He goes home at the end of the day. However, a slave, a doulos, is completely different. A doulos represents someone who has no personal freedom to do as he pleased. His entire life has been given to the servitude of his master who paid the price to purchase him from his previous owner. You see, friends, a servant is hired, but a slave is owned. A slave has no independence, no self-autonomy, no personal rights. A slave is a piece of property owned by someone else. When a person is a slave, he is the possession of his master and has to obey him. There's no negotiation by the slave with his master regarding what to do and what to do. He was bought and he was owned by his master. So there was no hesitation and there was no argument over whether or not you were going to obey him. A slave lived in complete submission to his master. Steve Lawson, in writing on Romans 6 and this idea of being enslaved, he says the following. This is a difficult concept for us to grasp what it means to be a slave because none of us have ever truly been owned by a master. You may have been a servant, but understand that's different than being a slave. A slave has a master who has the power of life and death over him. He is held in the hand of his master who has the right to issue commands without any explanation. He expects obedience swiftly, immediately and completely. The master has bought the slave at a price and the slave now belongs to him. Now friends, this is the illustrative way in which the Holy Spirit has now inspired Paul to answer this question as to whether or not a person who is under grace can go on living in sin. Bluntly put, Paul answers the question and says, no, no, you can't if you're a slave of Christ. Now, now, I know what happens here. You naturally are going to say, well, wait a minute. What do you mean a slave of Christ? I mean, I thought Jesus purchased my freedom. 
I'm not his slave. Well, what did I say? Paul said in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a slave of Christ. He says here in verse 22 that we are enslaved to God. In chapter 28 of the book of Acts, he mentions being in chains as the hope of Israel. In chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians, he says he's an ambassador in chains. Now, I must admit to everybody in this room that for your pastor, it is really hard for me to grasp this concept. As I studied this this week, everything inside of your pastor pushed back against this notion of being a slave. It made me extremely uncomfortable. And here's the reason why. Because we as humans, we desire independence. We desire freedom. As a matter of fact, we desire freedom so much that I would say it's probably our second greatest desire behind only the desire to be loved, this freedom to make our own choice, the freedom to chart our own course, the independence to do things the way that I want to do them. This is ingrained in us. But according to Romans chapter 6, the truth is this. No one is free. 8.3 billion people on earth today and not a single person is free. You are the slave of one of two masters. You are either the slave of sin or you're the slave of the Savior. Which is it? Which is it for you? Well, the determining factor and whose slave you are, you are is seen in who your master is. The determining factor in who your slave you are is seen in whom you obey. Verse 16, go back with me if you will. He says, do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Listen, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in in righteousness. So let's just pause for a moment right now. And let's just take an inventory of our lives. Let me ask you the following question. Are your passions, your desires, your motives, your actions driven by pursuit of holiness? Or are they driven by fleshly desires that seeks fleshly pleasure. Probably the best illustration I can give of this is that illustration of an addict. Just take an alcoholic, if you will, for a moment. Everything the alcoholic does in the day is driven for a desire for the bottle. Every waking thought, every action, every deed is devoted to that feeling of drunkenness. Anyone who has ever been an addict will tell you on the backside of addiction, they felt like they were enslaved to the bottle. It literally determined every move they made throughout their day. I remember being a, a, a young preacher, and I used to get asked to go preach at these youth conferences all the time. And, and for some reason, every time I would go, I had this one go-to message. It was entitled, Being a Slave to Sin. And I would go, and I would always take a set of handcuffs with me. And the only reason I didn't bring them with me today is because I couldn't find the key. And I wouldn't have been able to get out. But I used to always, I still have them, but I used to take these handcuffs with me. And I'd get up on that stage and, and I'd put those handcuffs on. 
And, and I would start talking about what it means to be a slave of sin. And I would begin to, to mention these different sins. And every sin, I would very dramatically let the crowd hear me clamp those things down another notch until they get so tight on my wrist. I mean, literally, it would hurt me to even continue preaching, but I would never take them off of my wrist. And that's really the nature of sin. One lie clamps those chains a little bit tighter. One lie leads to another lie, leads to another lie, until before long there's a spider web of lies and you don't even know what the truth is. One lustful look leads to another lustful look until eventually you reach out and touch that which is forbidden. One foul word leads to another foul word and before long you can't say a sentence without cursing. One coarse joke leads to another coarse joke until your mind is consumed with degrading passions. One conversation of gossip leads to another conversation of gossip, and before long, the entire world is set on fire. One act of anger leads to another act of anger until before long, your heart is consumed with hatred towards your brother. It's this endless cycle. Those chains are only getting tighter. You can't escape it. This is why Paul writes in verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, listen, and to lawlessness, resulting in what? Further lawlessness. One act of sin leads to another act of sin, which leads to another act of iniquity, to another act of lawlessness. One sin is not enough for you. Each sin onsets or begets another, and it's this downward spiral with no bottom to it. And here's the kicker. We say, I'll just do better. I'll stop. I'll stop the drunkenness. I'll stop looking at the pornography. I'll lay down my anger. I'll stop the cursing. I'll stop the coarse joking. And maybe you do good for a day or two, but then what happens? You find yourself caught back in that cycle. Why? Because you're a slave to it. Sin is your master. You obey it. You are not free. It has you shackled. It cracks a heavy whip and demands your submission. Sin demands obedience swiftly, immediately, and completely. Your master is sin and you belong to him. And friends, here's the truth. If we could just for a moment like actually just pull back the veil to see the true spiritual condition of the hearts of the majority of people under the sound of my voice, I would venture to say that probably 75% of the people in this room, this is where you are spiritually. You are enslaved to sin. However, sin doesn't have to be your master. You see, the hope of the gospel lies in the truth that the chains of sin can actually be broken. Remember John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. But what does he go on to say? But if the Son sets you free, you will be free 
Indeed, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody in the room this morning want to be freed from the chains of sin? Does anybody actually this morning, right now, I'm giving you an invitation. Does anybody want to be emancipated from slavery? You can be. You can be through the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as you look around this room, you are actually looking at people sitting next to you, sitting in front of you, sitting behind you, who are actually living free right now. Yet our freedom doesn't mean that we are self-autonomous, independent, and free to just do as we choose. It just means we have a new master. We have a new master who desires our holiness. We have a new master who desires our righteousness, our redemption, our sanctification leading to life rather than what sin desires for that, which is our ultimate death. You see, dear friends, true freedom is found in being a slave of Christ. That's your second point this morning. True freedom is found in being a slave of Christ. Listen to verse 17. But thanks be to God. Don't you love that? I mean, when Paul is, is speaking of salvation, he puts all the emphasis of salvation squarely in the hands of God. When assessing our salvation, we must come to terms with this truth. Our salvation actually has very little to do with us and everything to do with him. As a matter of fact, I said it in the first service, and I'll say it here, that one of the major arguments against free will is the argument that as a slave of sin, you cannot choose to just come out of slavery. You have to be bought with a price. Someone has to come down and actually free you at the slave block. And this is why Paul says, thanks be to God, though you were, past tense, slaves of sin. Friends, that's the gospel message of Christ. He left the portals of glory and came down to the slave market of this world and paid the ransom price for your freedom with his precious blood. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, watch this, you became obedient from the heart. The word for obedient here means to hearken. In other words, you heard the gospel message and you listened from your heart. From down deep inside of you, you were convicted of your sin. There was a conviction that Jesus was the Savior and you then responded in faith. And listen what he says. To that form of teaching to which you were committed. The word committed there in the Greek is the same word that means to give over. You might remember from chapter 1 when Paul is speaking of the wrath of God, he says, he gave them over, he gave them over, he gave them over. Well, here the word committed means you've been given over to the gospel. But I want you to listen because this is one of those places in the text that is so rich. And if we were not walking verse by verse through the text, you might just skim over this verse and not see the beauty of what Paul has just written and how it lends to the argument that one who is a slave of Christ can no longer live a life of lawlessness. That form of teaching, 
In the Greek, the word for form is the word for mold. It's the picture of a refiner who melts down metal and then pours the molten liquid into a mold to form it into the pattern he has designed. So when Paul says, you obeyed from the heart that form of teaching, this is what he's saying. He's saying when the gospel was presented, it was likened to a fire for you. It melted you down. Melted you down to a point where the refiner, God himself, could clean out all the impurity and pour you into the mold of the gospel, which is the message of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And having been cast in the mold, he is now imprinted the pattern which he designed, and you will never be the same. That broken, trash-filled piece of metal that you were was melted down and changed into something brand new. Friends, that's beautiful. I was thinking about it just this morning. The other day, I was in the locker room at West Hall High School with the football team, and this one young man, he called me over, and he he wanted to talk to me for a second. He began to tell me of all these sins of his past and all these different things, 16-year-old boy. And then he said this, but last summer at youth camp, I went and I listened to the gospel preached. And as I was listening to the gospel preached, I became so uncomfortable. And conviction gripped my heart. And I gave my life to Christ. Can I tell you what was happening? The gospel was being preached and it was melting him down. And then God poured him into the image of Christ. The same can be said for you and me, dear believer, for those of us who have come to Christ Jesus. Do you remember that moment the gospel literally melted you down? It was at that moment that the chains of sin were broken and the chains of righteousness were put on. In fact, just as one sin leads to another sin and greater and greater lawlessness, verse 19 says that the change of righteousness leads to more righteousness, and this results in your sanctification. This results in your being set apart as a vessel to be used for his glory. Friends, this is where true freedom is found. This is where true joy is found. This is where true life is found. True freedom is found in slavery to the Lord Jesus Christ. For opposed to sin, Jesus is not out to destroy you. He's out to work in you, through you, for the glory of God. Therefore, although everything in me wants to kick back against it, I realize that he desires to give me abundant Life. Therefore, this is not a begrudging enslavement. We now make it our aim to live a life pleasing to our master. We have lended our ears like the Old Testament to that master that we find joy in, and he has, and he has pierced our ears with his awe. We have been marked by him. We have been cast into his mold, conformed in his image. We have been changed by him. Everyone who sees us now knows that we are enslaved to Christ. We are free, free to pursue him, free to pursue righteousness, free to pursue sanctification, free to pursue eternal life. I was thinking about the story this week of Abraham Lincoln. 
And how Abraham Lincoln in the 1800s, one afternoon, made his way down to a slave auction. Historians tell this story to be true. He made his way down to a slave auction, and when he got there, of course, they were parading different slaves to be sold up to the auction block, and Abraham Lincoln was watching this, and it was just gripping his heart as he was watching these different slaves sold into slavery, and they brought this one young girl, somewhere around the age of 12 to 13 years old. She didn't have on any clothes, and she was shackled by chains, and she was on the auction block. And the auctioneer asked the question, how much we give for, and all these different individuals began to bid, and Abraham Lincoln bid twice as much for this one girl as any other slave had been sold for that afternoon. The auctioneer, going once, going twice, sold to Abraham Lincoln. She comes off the auction block, and Abraham Lincoln puts his jacket over her shoulders and leads her away from the crowd, and he says, you're free to go. I bought your freedom. And she begins to weep and she begins to cry. And she says, I, I don't know what that means, sir. In her heart, she thought he was just another white man that was going to buy her and abuse her. He said, no, you're free to go. And she said back to Abraham Lincoln, does that mean that I can say whatever I want to say? And Lincoln said, yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean that I can be whatever I want to be? And Abraham Lincoln said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. And she says, does that mean that I can go wherever I want to go? And he said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And that slave girl with tears streaming down her face said, then I choose to go with you. See, friends, Romans 6 is, is not Paul trying to be a killjoy. It's not Paul saying you can't enjoy this life. It's not Paul saying you can't enjoy the pleasures of this life. It's saying your entire life you've been enslaved and apart from Christ. You don't even know what life is. Your entire life you have been enslaved, searching for peace, searching for satisfaction, searching for joy. You don't even know what that is until you come into a relationship with Christ, which has to lead us to this final point, and you got to see it. It's, it's the result of your enslavement, the result of your enslavement. You see, two masters, two kingdoms produce far different results. Every summer, you might notice this as you, if anybody watches like television a lot, you might notice this, that you get around to the springtime, and when you get around to the spring, all those shows that, that are on television throughout the fall and the spring, they come to an end and they take a summer break. And when they take the summer break, they automatically put on these, these shows over the summertime that are meant to catch your attention. Well, in the Williams household, one of our favorite shows to watch in the summertime is the show known as America's Got Talent. I don't know if anybody else ever watches AGT, but we love watching AGT, the unique talent that's on there, the contestants. It's, it's such a funny show. And, and throughout the whole season, they continually say, the winner of America's Got Talent wins $1 million. They say it all season long. They will even, Simon Cowell, will even ask the contestants on the stage, what are you going to do with the $1 million? And the contestant will say, well, I'll buy a house, or I'm going to pay off debt, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. 
And all year long, they're, they're pushing this. One million dollars. The final show, the gold confetti rains down from the sky, and they talk about this person has just won a million dollars. And on that last episode, as it's going to the credits, there's a little disclaimer at the bottom that says the following. The $1 million will be paid out in increments over the next 40 years. <laughs> that equals out to $25,000 a year for the next 40 years. So they promise you a million dollars, and you will eventually get a million dollars if you live for 40 more years, but you'll never see it all at one time. But there's also a disclaimer that says you can take it all at one lump sum if you want to, a one payment option. The last person that did that was two years ago after taxes. He took home $200,000, far short of the one million. I might be asking why I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing this up because America's got talent promises this huge prize when the contest is over. But the contestant actually goes home with something far different than what was promised. And in Romans 6, there are two kingdoms and two masters, and both make some amazing promises. And like AGT, one of those slave masters promises you the world, but you're not actually given what you sign up for. He promises you freedom. Listen to verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What does he say? God is ruling over you unfairly. Just sin and do the things you want to do. That's where true freedom is found. You are free in regards to righteousness, but you are enslaved to unrighteousness. He promises you pleasure and fun and excitement and joy. But what do you get? Verse 21, therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things of which you were now ashamed? He promises you pleasure and fun and all this stuff. But what do you get? Shame, embarrassment, doing all you can to cover your nakedness with more and more lawlessness in the hopes that no one will ever know what you've done. You do things you never thought you would do. You go places you never thought you would go. You cross lines you never thought you would cross. You wake up in the morning in places you never thought you would wake up in. You try to do all these things, and the void only gets wider and deeper, and the chasm only becomes more and more. It's a life of shame. He promises you life, but he gives you death. Look at verse 22, and the, he says, or excuse me, verse 21, for the outcome of those things is death. Verse 23, the wages of sin is death. I think about this young man that I used to minister to down in South Carolina. I won't bring up his name because I, I think his aunt sometimes watches and I don't want to embarrass anybody. But this young man, I'll never forget it. He, he really was struggling with addiction. He was addicted to painkillers. He really struggled with it. And I, and I can remember so many days sitting with him, and he would say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. He was 20 years old. He'd say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I have fibromyalgia. I have degenerative cartilage in my bones. I'm in pain. I don't want to be in pain, but I hate the drugs because I'm addicted to them. And he said, I just don't know what to do. What do I do? And eventually the addiction got worse until one day, 
I was in my office. It was about 4.30 in the afternoon, and I remember to this day my window was open, and I heard sirens going down the road. And Summer called me on the phone, and she said, you need to get over to such and such's house right now. They just called, and they found him dead, 20 years old. Had one of my deacons right there with me, and I said, come on, Donald, let's go. And me and Donald got in the car, and we drove over to this house, and I'll never forget it. We went back in that room, and when we got back in that room, there laid this young man, 20, 20 21 years old. I mean, outside the addiction, a very nice guy. But there he lay. And I'm going to paint a vivid image for you, okay? Now, I'm doing this on purpose, so I know this isn't going to be pleasant what I'm about to tell you. His body was stiff. His head was cocked back. His face was blue. He had vomit all over his face. Drugs were laid all over the place. And I thought to myself in that moment, I even remember saying it to my deacon when we got in the car, I wish that I could bring every high school student over to this house this afternoon and parade them into that room and let them see. And in re reality, I wish I could take every one of you into that place. Because what does the enemy do? The enemy says, this is life. This is pleasure. This is freedom. This is the good life. This is the best life. But he never shows you the truth of where that life lives. Friends, every day people buy into the lie of sin. They bought into the schemes of the evil one only to find out at the end of their day that their enslavement leads to a life spent in eternity separated from a holy God. Where chapter 2 says they will receive the just recompense for their debauchery as the eternal flames of hell ensnare them forever. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? But I want you to know this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't make promises. The Lord Jesus Christ only makes guarantees. Amen. Guarantees which are sealed in the blood of his covenant. He guarantees freedom from sin and he delivers. The reason you can be free from sin is because he died in your place. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He guarantees your sanctification, giving you the Holy Spirit and progressively works in you until you reach the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. He guarantees not only abundant life, but in verse 23, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He guarantees us eternal life with him in the future. But how do I know this guarantee is actually good? Well, there's an empty grave. There's an empty grave in Jerusalem. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ not only died, but he resurrected. And therefore, heaven awaits as the just reward for those of us who have been shackled by Christ. Those of us who have put on the chains of righteousness, those of us who have put on the garments of Christ, have been clothed in his righteousness, have become co-heirs with Christ, both now and forever. Amen. So I ask you again, whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? That's the question of the hour.
heads bowed and eyes closed. As we come to the end of our service today, this question is pressing. Whose slave are you? And it demands a response. And maybe this morning as you have listened to the message preached, you realize in your heart, you know, if I'm going to be honest about who I obey, I don't obey the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not living a life of pursuing righteousness. Instead, everything I do pursues only iniquity, wickedness, and sin. And today, my master is not the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want him to be my master. I want to be freed from these chains. I want to be emancipated from slavery. I believe that he paid the price. I want to give you an opportunity to come to Christ, to respond to this invitation. What a joy it is to be free in Christ, to no longer be a slave of sin. So right now, no matter who you are under the sound of my voice, if you want to give your life to Christ, would you just cry out to him and ask him to save you? As I say to you all the time, it's not a magical prayer that I can pray that'll save you. It's the prayer of your heart. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If that's you this morning, and you need to be saved. And right now, just begin to pray and ask the Lord Jesus to save you. I'm going to give you just a few moments of silence to do that. just wondering is there anybody at this moment under the sound of my voice in this room who would boldly raise their hands and say pastor just now for the very first time in my life I've called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I need to be saved anybody at all would you raise your hand anybody at all has asked the Lord Jesus to save them today for the very first time Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And glory be unto God, over the last year we've seen close to a hundred salvations. Today might be your day of salvation. And if it is, we're going to ask you to make a bold move of faith. Brother Caleb's about to lead us in a song, Just As I Am, without one plea. And if today you need to give your heart and life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to come and take me by the hand experience true freedom which only Christ Jesus could give. Could you stand to your feet and sing this song, Just As I Am? What a beautiful song. You come just as you are.
Let's give the Lord a big hand today. We're praising for his faithfulness this morning. What a great day it's been. Listen, please don't forget to continue praying for that Uganda mission team. Uh, they're on the way to the airport now, probably about to get there and uh, going to be taking a flight this afternoon. So y'all pray for them over the next two weeks. Also, the Golden Corral is going to be singing tonight at Mountain View for their fifth Sunday night singing. Did you say 530 or 6? 6 o'clock Mountain View if you'd like to go to an old Redback Hymnal singing. That's at 6 o'clock this afternoon. So please make your way over there. And uh, guys, listen, it's been a great day. If you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can always give on your way out the doors or give online at flatcreekchurch.net. And uh, it has just been a great day to be together. We're going to close with a word of prayer, and then this will be our benediction today. Father, we love you so much, and thank you for the opportunity to be here and to worship you today together as one giant assembly, the body of Christ at Flat Creek. What a joy it is Amen. to be able to gather with the saints. And Lord, as we close our time today, I pray that you would take us from here, that we would live a life of obedience to righteousness, that we'd be salt and light everywhere we go, that people might know the hope that's within us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. Thank you for Flat Creek Baptist Church. Thank you for the work you're doing here. It's a great joy to be a part of it. Uh, Lord, we love you. We give you glory and say these things in Jesus' name. Okay. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're gonna encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. And for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net.
favorite southern gospel music 97.5 glory fm Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia. Hi, I'm Father Stephen Ritter, 